Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Kathleen Thompson, Progress Texas Executive Director. I'm Sam Gonzalez, Progress Texas Digital Director. And I'm Chris Mosier, Progress Texas Podcasting Director and Producer. Moms Demand Action, the grassroots movement of Americans demanding reasonable solutions to address our nation's gun violence crisis, has grown to establish volunteer chapters in every state and is a part of Every Town for Gun Safety, the nation's largest gun violence prevention org in the country. And at their national gathering this month, the Texas chapter leader was recognized as their org's MVP. Liz Hanks is the state leader for the Texas chapter of Moms Demand Action, and we're proud to welcome her back to congratulate her on winning that organization's Sue Brooks Award for being named chapter leader of the year. Welcome back to the show, Liz. Thank you so much. Um, It's been a bit of a love fest the last four or five days, so uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Liz, we're so glad to have you back. And, you know, we've kind of, we're bringing back a little bit of a, an older tradition here on the podcast. Since we're in celebration mode, uh, we've all decided to have a beer for the podcast today. Liz, you start. What are you having uh, this evening? Sure. I've got in my hand a St. Arnold's Art Car IPA that I'll be enjoying. Solid. Very nice. Classic. Houston beer. Very nice. That's right. I'm in Houston, so I'm representing. Kathleen, what you got? I've got a Texas beer company, Local Blonde, uh, which tastes great and also matches my blouse. It does. Nice color. (laughs) Hello, JD and All Out and Taylor. Sam, what are you having today? I have a Texas beer company, Pecos Amber. It doesn't match any clothes I'm wearing, but it was free. (laughs) So... And, and and super tasty, and you know what? Very we're good. balancing out. We're balancing out between H Town and Taylor because I'm actually doing St. Arnold's too. Uh, I have something called the Summer Pills. I'm trying to wean myself Ooh. off of IPAs, and so I'm trying to start a Pilsner Jag here, and so it's working out so far pretty well. It's really yummy stuff here. Well, That's let me propose nice. a toast to Liz's win and for all your hard oh. work. Uh, we're really proud of you. Cheers Thanks to you. So, so sweet. Labels out. Thank you. Cheers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Liz has been really hard at work since her last time here on the happy hour, which was back in the early summertime in May, uh, when she joined us from her car, as I recall, uh, if I'm not wrong about that, near the Texas Capitol. That was while the legislative fight over the raise the age effort was going on when we were trying to uh, have the age of eligibility to buy a semi-automatic rifle in Texas raised from 18 to 21. Uh, that, as I recall, was a rather uh, rather emotional conversation. Uh, we definitely got the vibe from that, that you were very much in the trenches in this fight, so we're not surprised to see you win this award for Moms Demand Action. Start off by telling us about the Sue Brooks Award, about who Sue Brooks is herself briefly, and what this recognition means to you personally. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk about Sue Brooks. I I never knew her personally, but she started the Nevada chapter of Moms Demand Action, and she was working tirelessly um, for years uh, with the organization and um, was a retired principal. So she was bringing that perspective to her work. Um, And she she had brain cancer and was working with Moms Demand Action to get some really great things passed in Nevada all the way up until her death. And so this award is really meant to honor her memory and her work, even when um, she could have walked away and everyone would have understood. And um, 
to highlight really, in my opinion, all the leads who are working so hard and giving of themselves. Um, but every year they give one, they give one award to a, a chapter leader somewhere in the country uh, to honor Sue. And her daughter, who is also a member of Moms Demand Action and is a new lead herself, um, was the one who presented it to me. That's great. Tell us about your personal, what does this really mean to you deep down to, to score this award? Yeah, the way they award this, this um, honor is that your team uh, can nominate you for, for, the, for the award. And so what it means to me is that I have fostered this community in Texas of activists who um, just love me and see me enough to really, I mean, it's a long form and you have to fill it out and you have to give specific examples of how I exemplify these qualities and um, I, I'm sure I didn't I didn't know that they were doing this, but I I am sure that behind the scenes they were lobbying very hard for me. And um, it made me feel so good and appreciated that they that those women and men um, would do that for me. And also that Texas would get some recognition because we're at this big national conference and there's right. amazing things that are happening around the country in our movement right now. It's just not in Texas. They're not happening here. So we're hearing about, we, the conference was in Chicago. So they get to mm -hmm. talk about um, some really amazing things that are happening with an assault weapons ban in, in Illinois. Um, many states have what we call a trifecta of gun sense candidates. So they've got a governor and they've got um, the House and the Senate all controlled by people who care about gun safety. And they're able to pass through things that um, even if we can't get them at the national level yet, they're getting them at the state level. And so while we're so happy for them <laughs> and excited and proud of their work, um, Texas and a lot of the South red states, um, it's just a beat down, sure. you know, and we keep fighting and we're not going to give up. But to get an award like this um, was just a lot of recognition for the whole chapter for how hard we've been working. Liz, I wanted to talk to you about that national recognition. It's like you're saying, it's great. And unfortunately, it's unusual to see that a lot of times um, national, the national party or national organizations seem to write off Texas as a lost cause. But um, Texas is, a, is important to Moms Demand Action. Can you say more about that importance? Well, Texas has the attention of the country so much of the time. So, you know, there are states where um, they're doing great work, but they're not getting media requests all the time like we are. Um, there is not this spotlight directed at what's going on in their state like we have. And it's not um, it's not just because we're Texas and we're big. It's because we had the shooting in Rob at Rob Elementary right. and because we had the shooting in Santa at Santa Fe in that high school and because we've had in El Paso, all these big tragedies that have um, directed the spotlight at Texas. And so there's a reason why we're focused on the work here. Um, and it's important that we recognize that the vast majority of Texans agree with our organization and the things that we espouse. Um, it's just that we're working against these big systemic um, barriers that are just the more people that raise their voices with us, the more likely we are to finally get the change that these other states have. 
Right. And with that spotlight on, I mean, it's great to see Texas, who has all these tragedies happen, see someone be recognized for being on the side of good, a progressive trying to get Texas noticed and supported nationally in terms of the gun reform movement in the state at ground zero where the worst things are happening. Now, we have an election coming up next year. It's start. It's already starting. We're right around the corner. So Liz, tell us more about what Moms Demand Action is planning in the run up for the primary early next year. I mean, early voting starts in February. That's about six months from now. So what's right. the plan moving forward for some direct action that we could start working on? Yeah, you know, we will have some. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the national organization will have planned for Texas. Um you know, in 2020, they spent $8 million in the state of Texas and um, obviously had some frustrating losses that that election cycle. But I'm hopeful that they will see Texas as another um, as the state ripe for more funding, because we've gotten, um, I think, some infrastructure in place that didn't exist um, even just a few years ago. And I think uh, it would be money well spent on their end. Now, from the perspective of just our chapter, Um, We always have uh, the program Gun Sense Candidates that I mentioned earlier. Um, And anyone who's running for office in the state of Texas, um, from the very local races all the way up to um, statewide races and, 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 you know, Congress as well, can um, ask us for a Gun Sense Candidate questionnaire, and then they fill that out. And if their policies and positions on gun violence prevention and gun safety align with ours, they would be given the Gunsons candidate distinction. And that means, you know, they can put it on all their social media and blast out that they're a Gunsons candidate, but also that frees us up to go and volunteer on their campaigns in our red shirts and put it out on our social media that we're supporting this candidate. And, um, and that there's a lot of power in that uh, and in these red shirts. So um, that will be our plan for next year's elections as well. Uh, we won't have that 2024 questionnaire open until sometime at the beginning of the year. But I foresee for some of the big races in Texas, um, I mean, every Democrat pretty much wants to be a gun sense candidate with Moms Demand Action at this point. So our goal isn't to choose one over the other. It's to bring as many um, electeds and uh, people in the field who are running together around, of course, we would we would support these um, these issues. And um, so far, that's the way it's been for the last few years. Everyone wanting to be a gun sense candidate. I was going to say they seem to I would seem they would be wanting to clamor for that, you know, okay. distinction of having that and having that support, you know, and having that distinction of saying, yes, I am against all of this, all of this <laughs> stuff that's happening in Texas, which is unfortunately continuing to happen, you know. Yeah, there's a real dichotomy in the state of Texas between um, our gun sense candidates who, by and large, are Democrats and um, a lot of extremists on the other side who want nothing to do with us and hate us and think that we are, are, um, you know, that we're the extremists. And so it's interesting because I've got people texting me personally uh, for for ideas about bills and um, just wanting to collaborate as closely as possible. And then other folks who just, you know, the idea of we would have a background check on every gun sale is just like makes their brain explode. So. <laughs> I've worked for um, several candidates 
um, for Democratic primary candidates and Democrats who weren't um, challenged in a primary. And I know how hard the Moms Demand Action volunteers are. So if we have can candidates who are listening or uh, prospective candidates, you want the Moms Demand Action workers um, on your team. I've attended so many events and they turn out in droves to make our state and our communities better. So if you're listening and you're considering, um, get on that candidate questionnaire. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, if you're loyal to us, we are loyal to you and we will show up in numbers. So it, it really is in your best interest. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll circle back around to the election here in just a minute, but let's talk about what's happening right now uh, in Texas for, you know, uh, millions of Texas families. And that's back to school, which is happening mm -hmm. right now. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of the kids heading back to school. There's, there's, three young uh, uh, sisters who live in our neighborhood who are all for the for, for the only year ever going to the neighborhood elementary school together. So my wife and I have been kind of reliving the years of sending our little ones off to class. But as we talked about in Texas, that back to school uh, situation comes with kind of a dark undertone because of the things that we've experienced here in Texas. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, some of the things that the state has decided to do instead of the things that we want them to do are these kind of band-aid and sort of, you know, you know, off the backboard sort of solutions that they've dreamed up. One of which is the mandating of armed guards on every public school campus in the state. And this is a project that's already run up against almost impossible funding and staffing barriers. Uh, mm -hmm. Liz, uh, from your org's perspective and also from your personal perspective, tell us what you think about this SRO thing. Uh, do you think the plan has any chance of making a real difference for Texas school kids and teachers? Uh, no, we were opposed to this provision in HB3 from the very beginning. Um, we really thought the session would be about fighting for raise the age, and it was. But um, what has impacted us the most now is this HB3 uh, having an armed guard requirement for every single campus, like you said, mm -hmm. and it's unfunded. And so for the school mm -hmm. districts who, who are trying to abide by the law, they are having to pull millions of dollars out of their regular budget to afford to hire, um, to hire these folks. And if you want to do it as responsibly as possible, you need to hire actual police officers who are going to then be part of your police department on, you know, within the ISD. And that ensures that they're getting adequate amounts of training, not just people who have gotten maybe like 16 hours of training through one of these other guardian programs or something like that. So for the ISDs who are trying to do the right thing, it's costing them all kinds of money that they don't have. There's no, I, I pulled up this article for you guys on The Trace. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's a, a really great resource called thetrace.org. Mm -hmm. Um and there's all kinds of data in here about gun violence and gun violence prevention. And what they say is that uh, from a recent study, it says researchers from the Violence Project, and I'm not exactly sure who that group is, but uh, I'd be happy to look it up. They examined 133 school shootings and attempted school shootings between 1980 and 2019. Um, at least one armed guard was present in almost a quarter of the cases studied, and researchers found no significant reduction in rates of injuries in these cases. In fact, shootings at schools with an armed guard ended with three times as many people killed on average. Wow. Okay. 
So mm-hmm. we're so we're potentially causing harm as opposed to making kids and teachers safer. And um, the number of legislators who claim to care about this issue and voted for this um, was astounding to us. And we've had a lot of conversations with those lawmakers um, to let them know how disappointed we are in this decision because it's it was um, legislating based on fear as opposed to using data to make the best decision possible for our schools. And um, yeah, people might feel better knowing that there's an armed guard on the campus, but when you dig in to the data, it's not supported and it's expensive. There's And <laughs> there's all these other things we could be doing that would actually lower the rates of gun deaths in the state. So uh, we're very disappointed about it. We are tracking it all very carefully and sending people to board meetings and every ISD we can get people into to talk to them about not arming teachers and staff. And what we're hearing over and over is that these ISDs don't have the money for this. And some of them are even starting to get creative about taking advantage of some loopholes and exceptions in the law that um, would give them a, grant them a hardship. Because what we're hearing from a number of um, school districts is that the police department in that city doesn't even have enough officers. Right. So right. how can they continue to hire more officers into the ISD police department when the you know Fort Worth police department can't even get enough officers? There's right. a shortage of qualified officers. And so um, they're trying to use this hardship exemption, and they're hoping that the state just sort of is okay with that. That's famously a problem here in Austin, where our, our uh, police department has been, you know, chronically under understaffed for going on three or four years now, or at, at least. And it's also wild to think that uh, that this kind of cowboy approach is still still has any kind of merit after what we saw happen at Uvalde with an army of, you know, heavily armed. Uh, officers showing up and then basically backing off. So, uh, so just to have to put one person, you know, potentially with poor training uh, in, you know, in the way of, of of a school shooter to me is just with, with the specter of Ubaldi hanging over us, it's just preposterous. Right. Nonsensical, just like the clear backpacks or the, right. Right. um, You know, the metal detectors in theory, it makes you feel better. But then you find out that a bunch of elementary school kids brought guns to school on the very first day in their clear backpack. Oh my right. God. Right. Um, and, and like they're making solutions, rather quote unquote solutions, that they're like, yep, this will fix the problem when there's already things and statistics that show like, oh, there's other solutions that if we just implemented them would work. We've already done the research. What little has been allowed to be done. There's a lot of yep. weird rules about not researching gun violence in schools and things of that sort. But the research is there and they want to just say, nope, we got the solution. We're going to have armed guards and clear backpacks and metal detectors and that's going to solve it. And it just doesn't. Those are not any anything close to the solutions that have been proposed, you know. And Liz, you know all right. about those solutions. You're obviously mental health care, like actual funding for that kind of stuff, preventative right. measures. Yeah. Liz, I'm, I'm, I'm spouting off all the things that are making your eyes you. roll so <laughs> far in the back of your head. I know it's, it's an audio medium, so I have to make sure people know how far your eyes are rolling in the back of your head. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. How much, I'll, I'll say it for you. How much of this bullshit that you have to deal with of you knowing the answer and then refusing to just solve it with the right answer? I mean, it's mind blowing. I don't think I'm like an especially brilliant person. And I, I feel mean, like I'm having the same... So. 
Uh, well, that's a very sweet <laughs> thing. To I'll cheers to that. Okay. I'll, hey, um, I'll cheers to that. We have no <laughs> but I feel like I am just, you know, I think we all feel in Texas like we're just beating our heads against a wall. <laughs> Um, you know, this is not rocket science. We are showing you the data. We are showing you that it's working in other States. Um, and you just don't, you're like, Oh, but what about, how about if we create this like giant room that's bulletproof that just swings out from the wall and all the kids can hide (laughs) in there in every single classroom. And Hey, had anybody thought about that? And it's, it's just like, no, No. how much does that even cost? You're insane. So Yes, uh, I do feel very frustrated all the time. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> I had to take a bit of a step back over the summer because I'm just like, yeah, you know, you you have to acknowledge that there is trauma that you mm-hmm. are absorbing when you're doing this work. I'm not a survivor of gun violence, but I have dozens and dozens of friends now who are survivors, and I am listening to their stories. I am listening to the news. I am just like seeping in this trauma all day long. And I just, I was like, I need to acknowledge that this is very hard and I need to take a little break. Sure. Um, Because people would ask me basic stuff and I would just get frustrated, Sam, and be like, you know what? I just cannot even talk to you about this right now. I got to walk away. Right. Right. And that's the thing, like we're talking about clear backpacks. Like that doesn't, that does nothing. I mean, like you said, kids coming to school with guns in the clear backpacks, like just <laughs> because that's not something that people what are used to. It's just like a new thing. They're like, that's a solution when really no one's really doing that. I mean, other than like concert venues, but even then, but they have security that are looking and they have the funding for security, which point is we don't even want security guards. Once again, it's infinite loop of nonsense. It's like, right, right, oh, right. We're, we're, we're playing their game by responding to what we do and do not need. And we don't need any of their solutions, any of those things. Right, so right. It's, keep all those and let me give those. you the ones that really work. Here at the Halfway Point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. Kind of mind-blowing, but true, and one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. We couldn't have done all of this without you listening and sharing episodes, so thank you for that. We believe that information is power. Our podcast features insider analysis with a lighthearted take on major issues, events, and players in Texas politics. We've interviewed elected officials, foreign policy experts, activists, and candidates in a panel format that brings gender and ethnic diversity and always seeks to give listeners a reason to keep coming back for more. After we wrap today, please help us keep our podcast ad-free and accessible to all listeners with a donation at progresstexas.org. Find the link in the show notes. I want to say one more thing about the school resource officers. Um, One of our local school districts up here in North Texas was tweeting about um, the, uh, a new partnership with the local police department to add school resource officers and was celebrating it. And I was just mad and I talked to my husband and I did a Google search and just some of the headlines that pop up are up here in North Texas, DFW school resource officer accidentally fires gun at school. You know, that's, that's a headline. This is another article. A Texas superintendent has resigned after parents learned a third grade student had found his gun unattended at elementary school. That's a, that's a different story. Here's another story. Um, high school vice principal left gun attended in the bathroom. Um, you know, adding more guns to our schools, uh, does not make me as a parent of three feel any safer and it's, it's political theater and it actually makes me more worried 
than not having a school resource officer there because you don't know about the training if there is training and you know mistakes happen and kids are finding guns yeah. in a bathroom right. in a workroom yeah. right. and people are just so cavalier um about their firearms these days not everyone but um that you would have people who are willing to just leave their guns sitting out at their home for example and not keep it locked right. up um, then you're going to allow those people to bring that firearm into a school. And, you know, unless you recognize that at any moment something horrible could happen and that you should be, you know, on high alert all the time and have it locked away, um, then you're just opening yourself up to just tremendous tragedy. And we actually keep, um, we keep a file. We have a long list of these incidents of guns on campuses because there is no central database. There is no way to find out exactly how many guns have been found on a campus, um, how many shootings have been on a campus even. And so we have been assembling data from parents who get an email from the district saying, hey, did you know, sorry, we had to lock down today, but everything's fine. And so um, we actually read out, we had four volunteers give testimony against HB3 or one of the other bills that was related to this uh, during the session where we just listed out in, you know, in your area, in North Texas, in Central Texas, down in Houston, here are 20 incidents of guns being found on campus just this last year and what campus they were on. We're talking elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. It doesn't matter. They're everywhere. And um, unless we start implementing the kinds of things that we know work, we're just going to this this school year. I'm already terrified, you guys. I got a call from one of my good friends this morning in tears. Her son was shot and killed um, about 10 years ago. And young man, um, her grandson is a freshman in high school here in Houston and um, has already had like this, you know, group of kids at school bullying him and um, threatening to shoot him on social media. And, can you imagine how my friend is feeling right now? They don't know what to do. They're terrified. Um, I've been trying to scramble and help and get her as good of advice as I can give her, but she's just in panic mode that she's going to lose not just her son, but now her grandson because there's just guns everywhere. Right. And people seem to think that, um, you know, threatening someone with a gun or shooting them is, is, is the right response. And it's, we have to get back to a, um, a culture of responsible gun ownership in this state. That's right. And that's the thing, like, and a lot of these kids, because they're kids, these are children, high school students, middle schoolers, even elementary schoolers that have access to their parents' gun because they're not locked up. They're not securely stored. I think, Liz, I think we talked about it last time. Um, I worked in insurance before, and that's one of the questions that I had to ask tons and tons of times. Like, hey, how do you secure your firearms? And like, I ah, keep it under my bed just in case intruders come in. And then it's like, all right, sorry can't give you insurance because you're not a responsible gun owner. So like, how can we get our listeners to transition the conversation so that if they are gun owners, that they can be responsible gun owners when it comes to safe gun storage? Because that's a huge element to a lot of access to school shooting stuff other than they turn 18 and buy a bunch of them just because they can here in Texas. But the ones that the, the things we can prevent. Yeah, a, a lot of thoughts. Okay, I'll try to get them a out in a, in, a, um, <laughs> in a coherent manner here. But number one, sadly, not everybody does agree on what it means to be a responsible gun owner. 
I've had a family member tell me, yeah, I lock up all my guns except for the one that I need that I keep beside the bed. And I'm like, yeah, but you have two toddlers in the house. You know, right. that's it's not a solution. Um, and what are you so afraid of? Anyway, um, right. that's so, that's right. my question. So we have to convince those folks that locking their guns is important, extremely important, and that there are there is technology out there where you can still get to your firearm quickly if you need it. Um, and so and so, you know, these biometric safes or the technology where it's like a fingerprint on your gun mm-hmm. itself. These things exist. Um, and you're talking about insurance. Um, I'm an attorney. I have friends who are in the movement who are also attorneys. And we laugh sometimes about how the way you can um, end this culture of irresponsibility is just to introduce an insurance schema. Right. Yep. You, mm-hmm. The minute you require insurance on every firearm is the minute everything changes. And um, that's why they fight. The gun lobby fights tooth and nail against requiring any kind of insurance, any kind of accountability, even for people to go to jail if they're irresponsible with their guns. Uh, I'll circle back on that in a second. And then um, they don't want people going after gun manufacturers, right? Well, they are the gun lobby, so that is them. But our right. um, most recent, we have a, um, a, an arm of our organization called Everytown Law, and their focus lately has been going after gun manufacturers for um, you know, marketing to children, things like this, and just trying to hit them in the pocketbook where maybe it will um, matter. But there, I don't know if you heard about um, this four-year-old, three or four, maybe three years old, who brought a gun to school the other day in San Antonio. And it's like in a PK4 school in Bear County or something. And um, it was reported yesterday, they found a gun in this little baby's backpack And I I was tweeting something about it or Xing or whatever the hell. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Whatever they call that now. Right. With just this sentiment of that parent needs to be held accountable. Absolutely. How dare that even be a possibility? I don't know if you just accidentally put it in the backpack because you were traveling somewhere and then you just forgot about it or the kid had access to it and put it in the backpack. I don't care what the reason was. I think you need to be held accountable. And then I just saw today that they did arrest him and, and are holding him accountable for being negligent. And we need more of that. Yeah, right. absolutely. But I got all off track. I'm sorry. What I wanted no, to say. That's all track. That's the track. <laughs> that's the track that we're on. It's a great big white track. There's right. so much. Um, one I good mean, thing that happened this session, and I don't want to forget to mention it, is that our partner, Texas Gun Sense, Nicole Golden, who was on that last yeah. show with yeah. me, right. um, they were able to get an amendment added to HB3, I believe, that requires every school district to talk about safe storage of firearms in their, right. I don't know if it's like their beginning of school year materials or what exactly it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. But um, to your point, we all recognize that convincing parents to store their firearms securely is probably, you know, the most likely thing to change um, attitudes here in our state right now, considering the makeup of our ledge. So um, we are really excited and hoping that as soon as the districts can figure out this quagmire of an armed guard on every campus and teacher shortages and, you know, in HISD, we have a whole host of problems. But once they can move beyond that, maybe they can start pushing out um, like we have a, um, a program called be smart for kids 
It's all mm-hmm. about teaching parents to be responsible with their guns and data to support why. And um, we're showing up in board meetings all over the state and we're having parents go to their principals and go to their teachers and try to convince them that um, talking about safe storage is not the third rail any longer. It's something that we absolutely have to be doing to be responsible for these kids. Up here in Dallas ISD, um, where my daughter goes to school, they promote Be Smart for Kids. And during our student registration, there's information about safely securing uh, your guns locked, unloaded, and separate, and how that can save your kid's life. So I know a lot of school districts are are already doing that. I think Mm -hmm. Houston ISD maybe as Mm -hmm. well, but... Um, yeah, it's, we were able to get it, Houston to start doing it a couple of years ago, and then okay. it has just been like dominoes after what happened in Uvalde. Um, uh, one of our volunteers, our, our lead in Dallas, actually, Donna Schmidt, she was instrumental in getting the, um, the Be Smart materials into the Dallas ISD um, packets and stuff this year. So it's, we're starting to see it happen, almost like a snowball effect. Um, but... It's starting in the bigger cities, and I'm hoping that even the really rural parts of Texas, those kids deserve to be safe as well. So let's educate their parents as well. So swinging back around to the election and, you know, anyone who's listening to this podcast who's got a kid in school right now, uh, it, again, is unfortunate that Texas gets the attention for all the terrible things that have happened here. But that's also something that we do need to keep in mind right now as we get ready to vote in about six months here. Uh, that, of course, is the way that we really can affect change is if we can begin to affect some of the, uh, the makeup of the legislature and the, and the people who are in charge of these decisions. So we talked earlier about, you know, Moms Demand Action has process for certifying you know, candidates that are in line with, with what they want to see accomplished. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Liz, since you're here, you've been invited on because you've, been, you've won this award and you're, you know, you're distinctive in that way. Uh, so we want to ask you, and you don't have to answer this question if you're not ready to, but, uh, are there any declared candidates or office holders, uh, who are maybe up for reelection perhaps, uh, who you think are doing a particularly good job of declaring themselves in favor of, of, of what we want to see done with firearms in Texas? Yes. Happy to take this opportunity. Um, first, anybody can go on our website, gun sense voter, org, And there are um, filters in there. You could just choose Texas. And right now we have 45 candidates in the state of Texas who are GunSense candidates. And you can see what they're running for um, and, you know, click in and get more information about them. So we have 45 in this off year series, you know, set of elections. Um, we've got I've got somebody here from the Dallas City Council uh, Pflugerville, Fort Worth, I mean, just all over, people wanting to be a part of it. But I'll, I'll speak from my own experience here um, in Houston. Um, my city council member, actually, her name is Abby Kamen, and she sits at the, she's the chair of the Public Safety Committee. And in her role, uh, she has tried all kinds of things to address gun violence, even though in Texas we have these preemption laws that prevent um, cities and counties from passing anything that's more restrictive on guns than we have at the state level. So she's been really clever about getting funding for gun safes to just give community members gun safes and gun locks. She's been really clever about advocating for uh, a dashboard, a gun violence dashboard that will track 
you know, how many shootings and what type are happening in our city and watch the different policies that we're implementing here in the city. Um, let's see if they're successful or not. We should always be doing this when we're implementing new policies and figuring out if they work or if they don't work. And we shouldn't be afraid to get the data. Um, so she's um, a friend and also a tremendous ally. Um, and I don't want to leave out, I don't want to leave anybody out, but maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just share the one because she's, um, she's really been so great here in Houston lately. Very cool. We'll put the, we'll put a link uh, to that uh, resource up on the, uh, on the show notes for this episode today too. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Gunsensevoter.org. And if you are a candidate or if you know of a candidate who would want to be uh, a GunSense candidate, all we need is their campaign email address. Um, I'm trying to think the best way for you to get it to me. Um, but we'll send them the questionnaire as long as we have their campaign email address. Um, we used to send questionnaires to every candidate when we were just doing state-level races. But now it's just we've opened it up to anybody and <laughs> we would just be spending all of our days finding email addresses. So we've we've made it a little bit different process. Liz, you're one of 50, is it 50 state leads for Moms Demand Action, one in every state? Is it 50? F 51, including D.C. 51, nice. including D.C. So mm -hmm. what what message do you have to the other 50 and the thousands of people who have gotten involved with your organization? I think, you know, the reason we get into the work is because we are scared or angry um, for our own uh, friends, family members, selves. And then after you've been involved in the work for a little while, you realize that, I mean, you're doing the work for those reasons still, but you stay in it because the people who are willing to give of themselves like that um, you know, people treat this like a job and they're not getting paid anything and are just so selfless and empathetic and dealing with these very hard issues all the time. And they are inspiring to me. And so I think for those of us who are doing the work and feeling unappreciated, um, I think know that the people you're doing the work with appreciate you so much. And, um, you know, it's sometimes we forget that we need to thank each other and praise each other um, because it is so hard. And, um, you know, sometimes people just want to say, forget this and like somebody else can deal with this. I'm done. But, you know, if you feel supported and you feel loved, then you'll probably keep going. And um, that's how I felt this weekend. Um, and we did a lot of work this year around coalition building. And um, one of our coalition members was invited to the conference. And I did not know she was going to do this, but she, in every session she was in, she was a panelist, she was talking about how important it was that I reached out to her and established this relationship. And I mean, she was so funny. She's, um, she's a Latina and she uh, is from Uvalde. And she oh. said, you know, this blonde called me up and I don't collaborate <laughs> with blondes. And it was just this hilarious moment. But just like, ah, I was just being myself. And to her, it really meant something more. And then she shared that with all these people. And uh, it just hit me right in the feels. And that's the way forward for us in Texas, y'all, is the, the relationships 
recognizing that we have more in common than we than differences and trying to foster um, that humanity and that love for each other um, through this really selfless work. Um, and just anyway, it was a really huge weekend for me. It really was. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Wonderful. Thanks, y'all. Liz Hanks is the Texas chapter lead for Moms Demand Action, a national grassroots organization dedicated to promoting firearm safety and justice across America. And she's won that organization's recognition as the recipient of this year's Sue Brooks Award. She is the chapter leader of the year for the National Moms Demand Action Organization. Liz, congratulations once again on bringing that terrific honor home to Texas. Where can they find you and all the work that you're doing? Right. Okay. So if you're not already a volunteer with moms or even just not getting our emails and things, you can uh, text the word ready, R-E-A-D-Y to the number 64433. And that's, uh, it'll be, it'll prompt you to enter, I think your email address and your name, and then we'll, um, maybe your zip code. That way we'll know where you are and plug you into your local group. And you can start seeing the events that are happening right around you. Um, you can also just go to the Moms Demand Action website. Just Google Moms Demand Action. I mean, we're kind of everywhere. Um, we have an app called uh, Demand Action that you can download and you can start following our events and things happening there. Um, I would really encourage anybody who's even on the fence about just learning more, do that text ready to 64433. It doesn't obligate you to do anything. You're not like suddenly dedicating your whole life to gun violence prevention. It's just getting you into the pipeline so you can see all the resources that we have. And, um, you know, you might come across something or an event that you didn't know is happening and is really exciting to you and you'd like to to be involved. So um, hopefully a lot of people will sign up. And you don't have to be a mom. That's our name, but we call ourselves mothers and others. And we have a lot of people who have no kids and are not, you know, women and are not moms. And we uh, would love to have more folks like that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Liz. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, Liz. Thanks to digital director Sam Gonzalez, podcast director and producer Chris Mosier, and listeners, thank you. We've been excited to see the great response to our new podcast title here at Progress Texas, the Progress Texas Daily Dispatch. Chris, how has the new project gone over its first week? It's been going great. I'm getting used to uh, being up out of bed at 5.30 in the morning to uh, immerse myself in all the crazy stuff that's happening in Texas every day. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun uh, putting all that together and, and kicking it out every morning. And uh, the response has been really, really nice. And we'll keep on going. We consider it just a, a quick bite-sized uh, piece of audio that you can use to be you know very much up to speed with everything that Texas progressives need to know about in the Lone Star State. So uh, that comes your way alongside the Progress Texas Happy Hour right here in the uh, Progress Texas main uh, podcast feed on the platform of your choice. I'm enjoying it every day, Chris, and I'm getting text messages about it. So uh, we're, we're loving it. So uh, thank you so much. Awesome. And th- th- thumbs up uh, from Sam for the listeners who can't see that. <laughs> That's right. I forgot this is audio. Head on over to ProgressTexas.org and subscribe to our email list. Keep us accessible with a donation of any amount. And don't forget to follow us on socials. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you're opinionated like me, leave us a review. Y'all stay cool out there. Bye, y'all. Bye. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. 
The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.